the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday. It's a very, very wet Tuesday, so please be careful out there. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you need to do is call us, 210-340-9585 is our primary number. If you're outside the San, the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car on this wet, wet day, and the safest way to do it is to use the free KSLR mobile app just at the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We would love to have your phone calls and questions today. I'm going to start with a sort of mature question. There's nothing um, bad about it other than we're going to deal with pornography. So if you are in your car or at home and you've got little ones around and you don't want to hear, put in your e, put in your uh, earplugs um, or um, turn the volume down or something and we'll be back with you in just a couple of minutes. This is a question from Daryl from our email inbox. Um, Pastor Ron, I've been saved for a couple of years now. However, I have an addiction to pornography. I did it all the time when I wasn't saved, and to be honest, I didn't know it was wrong until I got saved. I tried doing counseling. However, it feels like the answers I get is just stop doing it. If it were that easy, I would have stopped. However, after years of see, after years of doing it, um, I feel like I can't stop. I feel so weak. I go for a while without doing it, but end up doing it. I heard my pastor say um, that if you continue to sin, are you really saved? Good question to ask, by the way. That's my insert. I really don't know if I am uh, if I am saved anymore because I keep failing. I want this to go away. I wish God would just take it away, but he won't. I'd appreciate your advice and help very, very much. Um, Daryl, I am going to be very direct with you. Uh, and I'm going to do it because I don't think you really understand the nature of the battle that you're facing here. First um, Corinthians says um, that um, when a man sins sexually, he sins against his own body. All other sins are sins committed outside his body. But when he sins sexually, man or woman, by the way, <clears throat> excuse me, um, those sins are committed against his own body, our body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what we're doing here is giving the devil a stronghold. And I don't think you really and truly understand the nature of your sin. Uh, there's no power to resist because sin 
uh, and not righteousness is controlling. So understand that's how important this is. Um, I'm also going to ask you to have enough faith to believe 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. What you need to do, Daryl, is get a Bible. It won't take you very long. Memorize it. It's one verse. Um, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand. In other words, you can, you can overcome the temptation. And Daryl, when I hear people say, I'm addicted, that's a secular word that says, you know, um, it's a reason that I keep sinning. And what you've got to do is you've got to get to a place where you hate your sin. And frankly, Daryl, you don't hate it enough. You simply don't hate it enough. The, the uh, passage I read, I give you in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 begins with flee from sexual immorality. So what you've got to do is you've got to run from the temptation. And now you have to realize, you said before you were saved, you didn't know if it was wrong. But now you do. And because you do, you're accountable, Daryl. Why won't God take it away? Because God wants you to give it to him. God wants you to hate this sin every time, Daryl, that you participate with pornography. I want to make this real personal. You're watching people that God loves, that Jesus died for, do horrible things. Taking something beautiful that God gave, the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife, and perverting it. And you're participating in that sin. And God says, when will you hate that sin enough to say no? And that's really what it is. Now, I understand the nature of temptation, Daryl. Believe me, I do. And when you're tempted, what you've got to do is you've got to change the way you're thinking. When the temptation comes in, instead of embracing that temptation, instead of saying, well, I know I shouldn't, I know I shouldn't, but just say, Jesus, how about you and I go take a walk? Jesus, how about I open your word and you begin to speak to me? See, you've got to realize, Daryl, that the power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. You can overcome this. And because you can overcome it, the rest of the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, remember, and God is faithful. It doesn't say you're faithful. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So, Daryl, you've got to see your sin the way God sees it. And if you want the power, the power that lives in you as a, as a born-again believer, and I'm going to assume because this is bothering you so much that you are a born-again believer, what you've got to do to access that power by faith is you've got to really want to walk with Jesus. And it's, and it's a battle that you're in. It's a fight that you're in. And you've invited the enemy to have this stronghold in your life. And it's not intended to be an easy victory. What kind of a sacrifice would it be if God just took it away from you? God is saying, I died so that you could say no to sin. Take every thought captive. Make that thought, those thoughts, obedient to Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And Daryl, people hate it when I say this, and I don't mean anything um, personally by it, but we've got to get to the point where we're honest enough to say, um, Jesus, right now, I'm going to give in to temptation because I love this sin more than I love you. And if that doesn't make you start hating this sin, then I don't think anything will. So that's what you've got to do. You've got to realize that God has already given you victory over this temptation. All you've got to do is have enough faith to believe it and to walk in it. It does not mean the temptation will go away. You're the one, I repeat, who gave Satan this opening into your heart. But what it means is that you're going to commit to fighting this temptation with all of the strength that you have, with all of the strength of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so, Daryl, understand that the victory's already been given. All you've got to do is have enough faith to realize that. Don't live a defeated life. Instead, understand, Jesus, I don't want to do this. And replace the temptation, the, the ugly thoughts. Replace those thoughts with the presence of the Lord. Daryl, the truth is he's with you. He lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. But he's with you as well. 
And what he wants you to do is to take a walk with him. Open the Bible. Focus on him instead of on that which is tempting you. And you're going to find a source of power available in your life that you never knew existed before. So please, if you really want this to go away, then you give it to Jesus Christ and you do it every day. And while that is sexual immorality of all types, give Satan a foothold, a stronghold in our lives, we need to realize that the same pattern is true for anyone who's tempted by any sin at all. Paul writes that we're no longer slaves to sin, and you're living a life in slavery to this sin. And that's why there's no power. That's why the the presence of the Lord seems distant. That's why you're not getting any answers to your prayers. God says, how about you and I together? We beat this, Daryl. And all you got to do is want it. You know, the Apostle Paul, and this will be my last comment on this, uh, the Apostle Paul Uh, In his own walk, he said, you know, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And the Apostle Paul Darrell said, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers the same question in the 25th verse of Romans chapter 7. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Darrell, in your flesh is nothing good. Just like me, Darrell, we're wretched men in our flesh. But we do have a rescuer, a superhero. His name is Jesus Christ. He's given us the spirit. The power that raised Christ from the dead lives in each and every one of us. And because he does, this is a sin that you already have victory over. All you've got to do is believe it. Hate it. Believe what the Bible says. And then learn to walk with Jesus in victory when the temptation comes. Devil's going to keep pushing those buttons. You've got to decide if you really and truly believe that Jesus is stronger than the enemy. But again, I want to emphasize, this is not an addiction. Again, that's just a word that we in the world use to rationalize why we do things that we know we ought not to do. So, Daryl, I hope that makes sense to you. And I will be praying for you, if you don't mind, uh, I would appreciate via the the um, same email address that you sent the question to questions at calvarysa.com. Uh, stay in touch. I'll be praying for you. Here is an anonymous question um, from our email inbox. Uh, I'm very confused about Exodus chapter 4. Why would God harden Pharaoh's heart just to prove he's God? Uh, why couldn't he soften his heart? Also, why was God going to kill Moses He called up Moses, and he was on his way, so why would he try to kill him? Let me answer the last question first, because that's actually Exodus chapter 4. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart takes place later in the book uh, of Exodus. Um, You know, Jesus gave us the principle, who much is given, much is required. And the idea there is much more is required. When God gives you great responsibility, um, there's great accountability when God gives you uh, a great privilege, great power, well, then then there's going to be more expected. You know, God gives you those things and we're to respond in obedience and with gratitude. Moses didn't do in his own family with his own sons what God told him to do, and that was to be uh, circumcised. It's that simple. He, he Jews were circumcised on the eighth day. Moses was a Jew. He was called to save the Jews. And the very sign, the physical sign that they belonged to God, the the, the circumcision, um, Moses ignored that with his own kids. In other words, Moses was withholding from God that which God blessed him with, his sons. And his wife, who was not a Jew, she felt like it was barbaric. That is typical in the ancient world. Um, uh, circumcision was was a specifically Jewish thing. Now Egyptians uh, would 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 circumcise uh, their kids as well for other reasons, but uh, the rest of the the pagan world just thought it was a barbaric act, and Moses' wife was not in support of it. Instead of taking the leadership role in his home, he was on his way to do what God called him to do, but there was disobedience in his life. Now, was Jesus really going to kill him? The answer is clear. That's the, the answer is yes. We know that from the text. However, 
God knew what Moses was going to do, or more specifically, what his wife was going to do. And what Moses needed to do is understand that the, 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 the same things that are going to apply to Israel. I mean, Moses was going to come down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And he came down with the Ten Commandments. If, if Moses wasn't observing the commandments of God in his own home, how could he lead God? The same principle is true uh, for leaders in the church. If they can't manage their own homes, how are they going to manage the house of God? That's why he was done. Now, the extreme solution, uh, Jesus there to kill him. Um, clearly, his wife, Moses' wife, understood the seriousness of it. And she took the flint knife and circumcised the boys. Uh, she did it in disgust, but she did it. And Moses was spared. So clearly God knew Moses was going to be spared. Um, but he also made a very important point. If you say you're going to serve the Lord and he's going to give you uh, the responsibility to do so, you are big time accountable for that. So that's why God was going to kill him. Remember, God knows the end from the beginning. So Jesus, of course, knew exactly what was going to happen. So it wasn't really, he's going to be killed sort of like Abraham being asked to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Uh, God knew exactly what he was going to do, but this was a test for Abraham, just like in Exodus chapter 4. This was a test for Moses and for Moses' wife. The other question, why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? Um, you know, why couldn't he soften his heart? Uh, God doesn't make us do things. God doesn't make us do things. And the, the answer we're going to find is in Exodus chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, God's giving Moses his instructions, but then he says this, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will strike out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among, among them. After that, he will let you go. You see, God was going to be that mighty hand. So God, who knows everything, was just simply letting Moses know, go to let my people go. He's not going to let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. Well, Moses, you're going to be my mighty hand. We're going to compel him with the, with the plagues on Egypt. Now you ask, why didn't God soften his heart? Same reason God didn't soften um, the heart of somebody who is living in willful rebellion against God. God gives us a choice, and believe me, Anonymous, it's our responsibility to make that choice. God doesn't make things easy for us. We've got to make the choice. And so God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, here's what's key. Remember Exodus 3.19 that I just read. If you will read the passage starting in uh, Exodus throughout the, 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 the chapters on the plague, it was after the sixth plague where it says, and that's the plague of boils, where it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Before that, we're told over and over and over that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And finally, after the sixth plague of boils, we've got God letting Pharaoh alone with his own heart. And that's... We, we can see this principle at work in the world. I may talk about that in a moment. But, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart only after Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. And finally, God said, okay. Romans chapter 1 says that God gave them over, people that were living in willful sin. He gave them over to their own hearts. And that's what happens when we live in continual rebellion against God. That's what we see happening anonymous in the world that we live in. What we see is, is an example in this country now where God is simply giving people over to themselves. It's like the time of, of the book of Judges. The, the book of Judges, the theme is it was a time when men did what seemed right to them. And whenever you see that in Scripture, it's God simply backing off and saying, if that's what you want to do, I'm going to, I'm going to remove myself from this process. But there are going to be consequences to pay that are severe, that are extreme. And of course, Pharaoh hardened his heart, hardened his heart, hardened his heart. And finally, after the sixth plague, God said, okay, I'm going to leave you alone with your heart. 
and that's what happened. So it wasn't God um, um, just trying to prove that he was God. That's what the, the signs and wonders were to do. I'm going to prove that I'm God by doing the miracles, by doing the signs and wonders. When the signs and wonders... Uh, and by the way, Pharaoh knew that, that Moses' God was God. Pharaoh knew. He was told even by his own magicians and his own advisors, we can't stand up against Moses' God. They knew that God, Moses' God was God. And yet, in spite of what he knew, he rejected being obedient to the God that he knew was truly God. So I hope that helps, Anonymous. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Antonio from our email inbox. He says, what is the difference between Judaism and Christianity? Uh, My sister told me recently that she converted to Judaism. And as a new believer, I'm not sure if it's a bad thing. Thank you for your help. Antonio, it's a really, really bad thing. Um, and, And... Probably, if she converted to Judaism, she wasn't really a Christian in the first place, a born-again Christian. The whole book of Hebrews is written on this very issue. So uh, it's a really, really bad thing because Judaism has no sacrifice for sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And because there's no temple, there's no sacrifices, uh, animal sacrifices in the world that we live in, there's no sacrifice for their sins, which means that they're going to stand before God and give account of their own lives. You see, on the Day of Judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man to die once and then face the judgment. When we stand before the Lord, we are going to either be judged for what we did or for what Jesus did for us. And see, when I get to that point, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, I'm going to stand before the Lord and they're not going to find any sin against me because Jesus paid for my sins. Um, Your sister is going to have to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, so you accepted Judaism, you accepted the law. So how did you do against the law? And because nobody can keep the law, she's going to be convicted of sin and sentenced to an eternity separated from God. So converting to Judaism is converting to a religion that is absolutely worthless. Now, we love our Jewish ancestors, um, Israel, the apple of God's eye. Uh, It's wonderful when a Jew becomes a Christian. Our Bible is filled with authors who, who were Jews who became Christians, the apostles, Paul, and the others who wrote our New Testament. Um, But, but, Judaism in itself is really, really a a step into nothingness because there's no answer to the problem of sin. So it's really important. Now, as a new believer, pray for your sister. Let your sister see what Christ in you, the hope of glory, has done to change you. Live a life filled with joy and hope. Um, Keep your eyes on Jesus, even through the difficult things that we all go through. And your sister will see that what you have, she's missing. Because what you have is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How important is this? It's the difference between heaven and hell. So, Antonio, pray for her. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We have time maybe for one more um, question for this half of the break. Andrea says, uh, or Andre, I'm sorry, uh, I've heard you say Christians should be actively sharing their faith. I have a very hard time sharing because I know people don't want to hear. Is that a sin for me? Yeah, it's a sin of inaction. I mean, it's a sin of disobedience. We're all, Andrea, told to um, um, share our faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul, writing Titus, uh, I'm sorry, to, writing to Philemon, says that I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And if you're not sharing your faith, um, you're making a choice between making people uncomfortable and being obedient to the Lord. It's that simple. And disobedience is a sin. Now, obviously, you can confess that sin and be forgiven. But what God wants you to do, he wants to stretch your faith. And he wants to put you in a position where, and, and believe me, you're going to be surrounded by unbelievers. 
He's going to put you in that position because he wants you to use the gifts that he's given you. He wants you to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he wants you, frankly, to demonstrate that you love him and are more concerned about what he thinks than what the people around you think. You know, nobody who's unsaved wants to hear about Jesus Christ. Nobody wants to hear. I didn't want to hear, but 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 when I finally, when I got it, uh, it was the best message ever. So here's what you do. Live for Jesus. Talk to him. Take him everywhere you go, at work, uh, around friends, around family. And just, they need to get used to the fact that if you're there, they're going to talk about, you're going to talk about Jesus because he's there. And I promise you, the Spirit of God will empower you. And you'll get through this awkwardness. Um, just don't worry about what people think. Jesus will be smiling at you. Um, he wants you to stand with him and for him. And if you'll do that, you'll feel his pleasure at what you've allowed him to do. Well, we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, a rainy Tuesday. Please be careful. I actually thought we'd have a lot of phone calls today because I thought people would be on the phone inside because they wouldn't be out driving, but that's not working out. But we would like your phone calls, 210-340-9585. Here's a question from Nathan. He says, how do I balance the idea that I am a child of the king but also called to be a servant. Doesn't seem to make sense to me to be both. Nathan, we are a child of the king, but remember the king of kings came as a servant. That's what we've got to understand. We're to be like Jesus, and he came as a servant king. So the idea that you're a child of the king is a great honor and great privilege, but to be a servant of the king is even a greater privilege. You know, when you want to be, and it, it sounds to me, maybe, Nathan, like you're listening to some prosperity um, kind of teaching or thinking, but there's no higher honor. Jesus himself, John chapter 13, he picked up um, a bucket, a towel, and he went around the table in what we call the Last Supper and washed the feet of his disciples and he said, what you have seen me do, now you go and do likewise. Because he was demonstrating the importance of being a servant. Now, the foot washing was the way he, he demonstrated that. But the idea is being a servant. We're to be others-focused. We're not to look at ourselves. And whenever this child of the king preaching comes on, um, you know, we're entitled to riches and we're entitled to, 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 to glory and honor. Um, our glory and honor, our riches come only from Jesus Christ. This is hard to explain, Nathan, but people don't understand. I'm I'm often quoting um, the same idea I tell our church all the time, that I'm the richest man on the face of the earth. Now, I don't have any money, but I'm the richest man on the face of the earth because of what God allows me to do. Paul and I, in our time praying this morning, we're just thanking the Lord uh, for the honor and the privilege, for the the rich, satisfying, meaningful life, the passionate lives that he's allowed us to live. That's what happens when we're a child of the king. But what we do with that privilege then matters a great deal. And the way we honor him, the way we truly honor him is to serve others. And when we serve others, when we're abandoning uh, our own need, it's a great act of faith. Because what we're really doing there is we're saying, okay, Lord, I know you're going to bless me. I know you're going to be pleased. And then we realize that the only reward that we need is to know how pleased God is with us. When you stop living for you, Nathan, and you're living for Jesus, and we do that by ministering or serving others, 
then we realize exactly what Jesus meant when he said, and I think this is the most difficult verse in the New Testament for, for, for us to really understand. Jesus said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for me, you'll find it. And Nathan, you can keep living the, the I'm a child of the king um, type of philosophy. But, but you're never going to really find the purpose of your life. And then when you lose your life, when you abandon your life and say, Lord, I'm yours, do with me as you will. Well, that's when you find out just how rich a life with Christ and in Christ really becomes. So those are the things. Yes, we're a child of the king. Jesus was the king of kings and Lord of lords, was then and is now. But he spent his time serving. Jesus was born into abject poverty. Jesus lived a life that was very humble. And he did it for us. He came to serve us. And our responsibility then becomes to emulate him, living a life that's more and more like Jesus. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Nathan. Here's a question from Thomas. John chapter 3, verse 5 I want to know if this is to be taken literally. Well, let me read it. And Thomas, I'm going to go back to chapter 4 and read 4 through 6. And then we'll uh, we'll kind of deal with this question. Um, Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, says this. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert uh, or wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. Here's the verse he asked about. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight and the rough ways smooth and all mankind will see God's salvation. Now, this is obviously a prophecy of uh, not just Jesus, but of John the Baptist. He's the voice of the one calling in the, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And the idea of making straight paths, this comes from the ancient world. You know, you can imagine that roads were very difficult and dangerous to travel. I mean, bandits in the ancient world lived on the roads and, and they would steal from people. They would do those things. Um, and and, and uh, the roads, certainly they didn't have construction crews. Um, the roads would be difficult to travel. There'd be wild animals on those roads. There would be big ups and downs in the terrain. They didn't have bulldozers. And so what John's ministry, John the Baptist, what his ministry was, was to, figuratively speaking, not literally, but figuratively speaking, go fill those low spots in and to to straighten out the curbs, um, to, to make sure that the road was smooth. And John's message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so that's what he was doing. So this describes John's ministry before Jesus. John the Baptist, and um, quoting Isaiah, um, he was simply the, the, um, the, the prophet that predicted that all this was going to happen. So in the ancient world, when a king would go from one city to another, they would send out, literally, literally send out road crews and, and uh, smooth out the roads. And then, of course, there would be armies of soldiers that would go alongside the king to protect him from any bandits in the wilderness. John, that describes John the Baptist's ministry preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the question, Thomas. I appreciate it. Here's a question from Jack. In Judges 19, why did God allow the concubine to be cut into pieces? Did she do something wrong? Jack, no, she didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I'm sure she was a sinner. But the idea was, uh, remember the book of Judges. Uh, and, and by the way, the last chapters in in judges are not chronological, but um, the reason that he he uh, this concubine was kind of pieces it just demonstrates how far man's heart had come from the heart of God. Um, judges, the theme I said it in an earlier question. The theme is everyone did what was right or what seemed right in their own eyes, and when God leaves us alone with ourselves, we can do horrible, horrible things. 
And so when when the concubine was cut into pieces and a piece was sent to each of the 12 tribes, this was God's way of saying, this is how bad things have become. And literally, uh, they were shocked into action. And that's why God did it. But, but it wasn't, remember, God didn't cut the concubine into pieces. People did those things. It was people who killed her. It was people that, that, that brutalized her. Uh, God simply didn't stop, didn't intervene. And um, so it wasn't that God allowed it or she was being punished for doing something wrong. This was because of the hardness of men's heart. Now, Jack, all we have to do is look around the world that we live in. We have a friend uh, here at at Calvary Chapel uh, who is traveling now all over the country. Um, uh, he's a former cop and, and um, um, has really come up with some revolutionary ways, some radical ways of of uh, changing police behavior as we, as we know it. And he's going to these places, um, doing, uh, making presentations, and he's surrounded with all of these crazy people who are, they want to defund the police, they want to open the prison doors, they want to do all these things. And the reality is that that darkness is overwhelming. And he's seeing firsthand what happens when men are given over to their hard hearts. And the world that we live in is just like the time of the judges and, and uh, you know, um, you might say cutting a concubine into 12 pieces uh, was shocking. But is it any more shocking than uh, 65 million babies being murdered in the name of sexual freedom? We're we're pretty much at that place, if not in a worse place, than Israel was during the time of the judges. So, again, God did not do this. People did it. God simply didn't stop it. And when he worked all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Ari. I've got a grandson named Ari. Ari, great name. Um... Pastor, will you help me understand what it means to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Yeah, Ari, this is um, simply having a healthy fear of God. Um, We work out, not work for. This is very important. It it doesn't say that we work for our salvation. We work out our salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God. We are saved by grace through faith, the faith not of ourselves. It, the faith, is a gift from God. So we receive it. But then we begin the process of working out our salvation. Um, It's the process of sanctification, um, being made more and more like Jesus every single day. And Ari, when you're walking with the Lord, when you're in the Word, when you, you really desire to be obedient to God, you're working out your salvation through fear of God. But trembling in the sense I can't be 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 arrogant about it. Um, I've got to realize uh, that what Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We got to realize just how true that is. We got to realize, Ari, that um, there's going to be a price to pay in the world that we live in right now. There's going to be a price to pay for people who take a stand with and for Jesus Christ. And we got to be willing to pray it. So we're sort of trembling in that. And I don't know about you, but I, I never want to fail the Lord. So what I, I really work hard at doing is saying, Jesus, empower me. Increase my faith. Help me be brave for you, Lord. And when I'm afraid, and anybody that says they're not afraid, um, at times and, and probably now for a lot of times, anybody that says that, Ari, is not being honest. And so I, I just say, Lord, I don't want to blow it. I don't want to mess up. I want to honor you in all that I do, so empower me by your Spirit. That's what it means, sorry, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Remember, the fear of God is not being afraid of God. The fear of God is, is, is holding you in a place where you realize that, that he has the power to change lives. And that's a power we want working for us rather than against us. That's what it means to, to have the fear of God. We've got our first caller. we got Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. 
Hi, Pastor Ron. I thought I'd call this question in. I've been thinking about it since Saturday. Um, I, I recorded the coronation of King Charles, and, and I recorded it so I could zip through a whole bunch of a bunch of stuff. But they had all these items that had reference to biblical scriptures that he would put his hand on and that it was supposed to be ruling, you know, in Christ and stuff. But that has nothing to do with my, my question, really. But uh, what, what I was really wondering was, will there be a coronation of Jesus in heaven or not? I'd, that's just kind of my question that's been floating around, because I know that we'll be casting our crowns before him at his feet, and he'll be proclaimed King of Kings and and Lord of Lords and, and all that all this stuff. So anyways, that's my question, and I'll get off the uh, phone and listen on the radio. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. You know, he's already been coronated, um, unlike King Charles. Um, you know, his coronation actually meant something on his robe and on his thigh. It's written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, all heaven has bowed down to receive him. I, I always imagined Cindy when he descended into lower parts of the earth and set the captives free. Uh, King James has took captivity captive uh, in his train, took him to heaven. I, I just can't imagine what it was like when he descended into the lower parts of the earth and all of the people. On both sides of the, that, that gulch, all of the people bowed down in his presence. That's his coronation. And when he returns, he will rule as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But he's already been crowned. We, we see him in the book of Revelation with many crowns. There's, there's different Greek words for crowns. But these are the victor's crowns, but not just one crown. Many crowns are upon him. So when we stand before him, when we, uh, whether it's the rapture of the church or whether we die and we go to be with Jesus and live, um, we will see him in all of his glory. And we will see him um, for the very first time for who he really and truly is. And it will blow our minds. It will blow our minds. Now, I didn't watch any of Charles' coronation. I'd rather watch it paint dry, frankly. But it shows you what man can do to ruin the Word of God. What religion does, we know that being Anglican, the Anglican Church is a national church of England. And I, I can promise you all the Bible verses that Charles agreed to, swore to, or were, were involved in his ceremony, none of them mean anything at all to him. Um, you know, the being, being baptized as an infant into the Anglican Church or the Catholic Church or any other church for that matter means absolutely nothing until we surrender our hearts to Jesus Christ and be born again. So the coronation... Just a religious exercise that had no value. Uh, when Jesus was coronated, believe me, imagine what Stephen saw when he was being stoned to death and he looked into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Ready to be received as the first martyr of the church. He would have seen Jesus in all of his splendor and in all of his glory, having already been coronated. Good question, Cindy. Thank you for the call. Wayne says, um, why, oh, this is a good question. Why is it that so many churches replace their pastors with the pastor's children? Sounds unfair, like nepotism maybe. Um, you know, Wayne, um, I've been around Calvary Chapel long enough to see that happen over and over and over. Now, there's a question that needs to be asked. Is this son being groomed to replace his father because he was called by God or because his father just wants to hand over the church to his son. And see, we're going to stand before God and be accountable for that. Um, I don't know that it's nepotism. I think most people, their hearts are in the right place. But the other side of that question is maybe those children were the sons of those pastors for this very thing. Uh, I would love for one of my sons 
uh, to replace me here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio. Unfortunately, um, I have a son who's not saved, and another son who certainly, uh, though a believer, uh, certainly has been called to be a pastor. Um, I, I think there's pastoral gifts in his life, but, um, you know, the, the, the fruit of it. So uh, I'll just use our church's example. Uh, I am going to, to pass this church over when it's time to one of my sons, but it's a son in the faith. Pastor Ken, uh, who is um, as close to me as you can get. Um, I love him with all of my heart. And I can trust him with the people that I love. And so I know our church is going to be in really, really good hands. Um, but remember, we hope and we want to believe the best. We hope that these people are listening to the Lord. Uh, I've seen churches ruined by sons taking over for their fathers, sons that weren't anything at all like their fathers and weren't ready nor were called by God. Um, so I guess we'll see the shakeout, how it works down the road. Let's go to, we got a couple people on the line, James from Belmont, Texas. James, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Uh, yes, hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Just mm -hmm. to uh, ask a, a quick question, because um, I hear there's someone else. Uh, I'm looking at Hebrews 3, uh, 12, 13, 14. Uh, in the context of Hebrews, uh, I wondered if you could expound upon a little bit where it says that we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. On uh, verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So um, the, the turning away sounds as if uh, they were turned toward God uh, in a believing way, but it talks about having a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away. And in 14, it says, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. That conviction, I wondered if you could expound upon that, and uh, you can see where I understand Hebrews is a little different, uh, than some of the other audiences, but they make it sound like um, that that Paul is concerned about uh, believers falling away or turning away yeah. or uh, losing a grip uh, on their original conviction firmly. And yeah, James, just... let me deal with this because we are running out of time and I got another call. Uh, in fact, I, I might want to take this tomorrow at the top of the program, so you might turn, tune in as well. Uh, Hebrews is a book of warnings. This is Jewish Christians. They're, they're Jews by birth, converted to Christianity, and they've been persecuted now for 20-plus years, some as, as many as 30 years. And they're getting tired of the persecution, and Jews are saying, just come back to Judaism, and you're going to be saved. So Paul is addressing these things uh, in that context. And what he's saying is, is if you go that direction, you do have a sinful, unbelieving heart, and you're turning away from God. And then he says, spur one another on, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And the if in verse 14 is not conditional. It's not like, okay, uh, if you hold out, then you're really saved. What he's saying is, if you're really saved, you will hold out. And later he's going to say, um, I have great things in store for you, things that accompany salvation. I have confidence. And when you talk about the conviction in verse 14, um, the, the, the NIV translates that confidence. Uh, hold on to the confidence that you had when you accepted Christ. Don't be moved by what other people say. And James, uh, my producer's writing this down. I will uh, address this in more depth tomorrow when I have a little bit more time. Let's go to Steve on line two from Cedar Park. Steve, thanks for being patient. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, in John, in one of the letters of John, he talks about uh, there's... Steve, we lost you. Oh, do you have me now? I got, I got you now. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Steve, I'm, we lost you again. Oh, sorry. 
Yeah, it's bad bad weather. These things happen. Steve, if you could call back tomorrow, we're approaching one minute now, and I won't have time to answer it anyway, but I'd love to take your phone call. If you can call in tomorrow at the top of the program, I would appreciate it. Steve had to hang up because he lost uh, us as we lost him. Um, let me see if I have time for one more really quick question, if I have a quick question. Uh, Nancy says, I have a good friend, a believer who cusses a lot. She's a good person. Should I say something to her? Yeah, she's a good friend. You will say something to her. If she's a good friend, you have to say something to her. And if she says that she's a believer, then you got to hold her accountable to live as a believer. Let no unwholesome talk come from your mouth. No corrupt communication. Um, our, our speech should be seasoned uh, with salt, but full of grace and, and remember, salts are preservative. So, yeah, Nancy, you've got to talk to her about it. What she's doing is sin, and she's bringing um, disrepute to the Lord by the way she uses her mouth. So, yes, if you love her, you care about her, you've got to confront her. Risk the friendship, if that's what it takes, because you're that concerned about her getting to heaven. Hey, thank you for the calls and questions. I'm sorry, Steve, for the problems with the connection between us. I'd love for you to call at the top of the program tomorrow. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On For Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.